This is the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. Innovation? Yeah, innovation. New, original, and creative. This podcast is designed to challenge the way you think about how healthcare is delivered. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please take your seat and fasten your seatbelt. I'm your host, Ryan Jury. We are about to explore practical solutions and hear about how out-of-reach results are obtained. Welcome to this installment of the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. Before we get started, a brief history about our podcast. The introduction to this podcast took weeks to distill. We settled on this idea of innovation, new, original, and creative. During this installment, we're going to review the steps to becoming an innovative health center. By now, you may have asked yourself, what is so innovative about reducing no-shows? In this episode, we hope to explain why not to conform, what steps to take to become innovative, and why no-show plays an integrative role in that process. In this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Roger Coleman, founder of Coleman Associates. A lot of us uh, think about what are other health centers doing and trying to copy it, not necessarily. Why is it so important for health centers to not just look for something to copy, but be willing to be open to try new things? Um, because of this reason, when you are busy copying and even a stronger word that I think is even more accurate is conforming. Okay. You're conforming to the expectations of today. Okay. The expectations of your funders, the expectations of your board of directors, the expectations of the joint commission, right? Expectations of NCQA, there's a long list of all of them, right? Exactly. You're busy conforming and, and in your conforming, you're copying how other people have been able to do it. So everyone's quote in compliance. Right. When that happens today has become the tyranny of tomorrow. Hmm. There is no tomorrow in that world. Yeah. There's only today. You can't get to tomorrow. So the interesting thing to me is that we've gone into organizations that are waiting for joint commission and they're paralyzed. Yeah. And, and you know, you're seeing patients and everything, but they're kind of getting in the way because you need to be ready for the joint commission. Because, <laughs> well, yeah, it's the conformity of the compliance, right? Like exactly. it'd be it's easier to be compliant if we just shut the clinic down today for the site visit and, exactly. and got everything perfect. Exactly. I like that. The conformity of the compliance. So that's going whole hog. And then what's interesting to me is then the joint commission comes. And if it's a site we're working with, it might be like we're doing a rapid redesign test uh, down the hallway, trying some new things. Well, these very same people, the joint commission people, they have always, always, always like looked at something like that and go, what's going on down there? Well, we're trying this thing. Really? What's that about? I mean, they're totally curious about it. Oh, yeah, you're doing that. That's exciting and everything. They have no idea, like, you know, that what they're doing is everyone, the rest of the organization has stopped doing this conformity with compliance, which is a byproduct of their work. But they themselves are very excited about this new thing they're seeing. See, they're Hmm. excited about seeing what's going to happen tomorrow. See, my instance would have been like, maybe we shouldn't run this pilot today because they're here. 
because then we don't want them to come yes. over with their clipboards and yes. <laughs> be like, well, you didn't do X or. And a, and a lot of people make that, that kind of decision, hmm. but when they don't and something's going on, they have been, the joint commission folks have been uniformly curious and excited about what they, what they saw. But as, as long as you as a health center are trying to do everything that you're supposed to do today, Again, there's no room for innovation there. That's the Navy. There's no pirates. No and, pirates. And, and, and we, we're not going to get to tomorrow. So to me, today is the tyranny of tomorrow. Hmm. And, and the problem, you know, that has a bunch of problems attached to it. But a big one that's close to my heart is that I think it creates a workplace that isn't very exciting. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a big problem for us. But something I'm, I'm, I'm interested in is, you know, when we talk about reducing no-shows, Mm-hmm. And we talk about it's a larger sibling patient-centered scheduling, which includes same-day scheduling and all those kinds of mechanics. Um, to me, all of those projects you do, a uh, patient-centered scheduling, it's satisfying unto itself in that you produce this big change in the organization. You can really dramatically improve your access, and that's been proven over and over and lots of statistics, you know, basically um, documenting that this stuff works. And it's, it's a taking off point to the next stage of organizational change. Hmm. So what I think is, you know, we don't need every healthcare organization to become an innovating organization, but we most certainly need some critical mass of primary care organizations who are willing to be the pirates rather than the Navy. Right. So that we can get to what is the health center of tomorrow? What is the clinic of tomorrow? How do we work tomorrow? And that's, that's under the idea of recognizing the patient-centered scheduling. So how do, we, how do we do patient-centered scheduling tomorrow? How do we do patient scheduling? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Well, what I'm really talking about is no, is, is using that as, as, a, as a launch pad to go on to the next stage of change to get to an innovative organization, you truly want to be the pirates. So what happens with patient-centered scheduling and reducing no-shows, for example, mm-hmm. is normally your organization's been a little sclerotic, you know, mm. hasn't really, uh, people will say, oh yeah, this must be another one of management's flavor of the months. Right, and, yeah. <laughs> that, the flavors of the month, meaning that a lot of things get tried, but they're not seen through and they don't succeed and the right. people get them. That's what basically staff are saying. Right. And, and so, uh, and, and so usually, and, and that hasn't been new systems haven't been effective. It hasn't really been effective change. Right. So we use PCS. If it, PCS is like the most logical point to start developing an innovative patient centered organization that's been a little sclerotic in the past mm. because it is so doable. You gotcha. know, its probability of success is so high. Gotcha. So we can yeah. demonstrate within the organization, wow, we did this. You know, yeah. that's important to an organization. We got this change thing going on. Hey, that's kind of cool. I didn't think that was possible. It breaks through the skepticism, if yeah. not the skepticism of the organization, gives the organization confidence, gives the managers a little more confidence and say, yeah. Okay, so this this is something that can be done. It's not not a necessary evil of primary care that it helps you break through the chiasm, right? So you have your your early your exactly. early adopters. You have your people who are exactly wow. We had a win, and so 
you said PCS, so PCS is patient-centered scheduling. Yeah. Being successful with patient-centered scheduling could really move the organization. In, yeah, yeah. And, in, in, you know, maybe I wouldn't use the word easy because I, you know, but, but it is. <laughs> in the context, it is actually an easy win. And I would call that the first cycle of these stage development cycles of moving okay. an organization. If you want an organization to become innovative, just like, you know, you, you were maybe more active at a younger age through inactivity, you gained weight, you got stiff, you haven't really done anything athletic. Now you decide, well, you know what? I'm still young. I can make things happen. And you're going to get back in shape. Well, you can't like run a marathon tomorrow. You got to work your way up. Mm. If that is your vehicle of choice for fitness running, then we're going to have to like probably get out there and do a walk run for a mile, you know, <laughs> right, just less. to get back into yeah, the, exactly, the rhythm of things. Exactly. So to me, PCS is moving the sclerotic organization forward with a catalytic change. So I would call that first stage a catalytic change. And that leads you to another change, which I would call acquired adaptability or acquired agility. Acquired agility is not just a change that got well orchestrated, but it's a bunch of changes that happen concurrently. And so the organization has to handle a lot of variables at once. Mm. So for us in the Coleman Associates world, that's patient visit redesign. Right. Like, okay, you got the access opened up, you opened up the funnel in the front, let's go in the back and take the pressure off. Redesign mm. the way that people work, the way that people work together. Let's organize care teams mm-hmm. and Let's implement all this stuff that we know that works, but it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff done concurrently, mm-hmm. and and let's just work through it. And uh, so people, well, it creates a lot of chaos. Though I mean, you know, let's just yeah. be honor, uh, honest about it, Roger. I mean, this totally. it creates a lot of chaos. It it really throws culture through the filter of like what are we really made of, and all of these starts things start bubbling to the top. So it's really tough for those who have gone through it. It is tough and it's tough for a good reason. I mean, you're absolutely right. It creates a lot of chaos because if you think about it, um, you're redesigning processes, but we're a people organization. Hmm. So people in their habits are still 85% of the formula. Hmm. And everybody through time, especially if the processes have been dysfunctional, over time, we're adaptive animals as human beings. Each of us has found a set of habits that we follow through the course of a day <laughs> through a dysfunctional right. system right. that creates a functional island in a dysfunctional sea. You know what I mean? Yeah, my snooze button every morning is my dysfunctional habit. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. so when someone comes in and says, well, you know, we're all going to work together. And we're going to change the processes. It means all your habits are generally obsolete at this oh, point. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're thinking, what am I going to do? And for for that amount of time, it is chaotic for you mm. because you cannot be on autopilot. You're mm. absolutely right, Ryan. So flexing a new muscle, it's kind of like that run. You're you know just talking about wanting to exercise again, right? So going back out and yeah. starting to run and all the uncomfortableness of that muscle that hasn't been used in several months. Yeah, and, 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 and Jenny Romady, she's the CEO of IBM. She would say, Growth and comfort do not coexist. <laughs> period. Sadly, sadly. That's what the lady calls period. That's done. You know, they yeah. do not. 
they do not coexist. So anyway, that you're, you're absolutely right. It creates some chaos. But after, after you come out of that chaos and understanding that you are producing results and results you're pretty proud of and yeah. that your patients are responding and you, you like that, you like that feedback. They're like, the patients are enlivened. They're saying, what's going on here? This is so much better. I can't believe it's happening. You know, we saw one patient leave, leave a clinic that we were doing a test on and we said, how was your visit today? And he said, you know, he just stopped. He hadn't thought about it. He said, that was really good today. He said, wow, he looked at his watch. It was really good. <laughs> He's so, like, wait a minute. I, I, I didn't spend three hours here today. Exactly. And, and so he was waiting to, you know, to, to cash out. And we moved on after asking him that question. We were going to the cafeteria to grab some lunch in, the, in, in this hospital. And we heard these footsteps behind us. This guy was a big guy. So you could kind of feel the ground right. shaking. As he, <laughs> and he came up and said, hey, just wanted to say, that if all of my appointments were like this, I'd come in every time I had an appointment. <laughs> and, and that's what happens when patients have to wait so long, when it's such a bad process, they make a judgment on the day of appointment of yeah. whether or not they can sacrifice that time at the clinic on that day. And if it's a three hour endeavor, they're often going to say no. I do that all the time. Wife's like, "Hey, can you go grocery shopping after work?" And I'm like, "Um, no, no, that's not gonna." You know, we do that all the time, and all of, you know, to say right. that only patients do that in healthcare, it, we do that yes. in our lives all the time. We take an analysis yeah. of where we are that day and say, "Can I do X?" And here's what I would say about it. So that's, that, there's a couple of more, um, and I, I think that's what I call, uh, remember, the acquired adaptability. If the organization comes through that fog mm -hmm. successfully, then people, a whole bunch of people just made a whole bunch of changes, right? And so, and if they come through it confidently and well, and they got great measurable results, they like what patients are saying, they settle down into those new habits and those new routines, and they feel pretty proud about what they've been able to accomplish. And they're more receptive to now new changes because they've just gone through a whole bunch. So everybody's a little like they can weave and bob a little. Gotcha. So we started out sclerotic and mm. having to do a half mile walk and run. We're probably up to the, you know, we're definitely up to the 5K level now. We're running a race, <laughs> you know. We can do but, this. We can do but this. We're thinking maybe we want to run longer races, but we're okay. And I think the next two levels, without getting into a great detail, the next two cycles coming from acquired adaptability, the next one is high performance or, or what I call preeminent performance preeminent performance and preeminent performance is is the is is when the organization is now excited they've used data enough to steer their performance and understand that's the steering wheel for future performance that everybody is kind of into the data game now the organization has a dashboard of key indicators uh, managers are dealing transparently with staff at all levels around these goals and where mm -hmm. we are where we're failing, where we're succeeding. Uh, we're using the data to steer our efforts yeah. and into the right direction. Uh, we've organized into really tight teams. The whole organization is in, you know, relatively tight operational teams. 
Um, there's a lot of cross-functional stuff going on. And, um, and, and we're knocking out the results on a regular basis. And when a new mandate is kind of uh, uh, coming upon the center, like we need to reach a certain level of immunizations or anything, it's no more a shock to the organization than it used to be. It's kind of like, okay, how do we do this? And so right. the organization can, you know. That it flexibility. Can, it, can, right, it can pull exactly. the lever and, and be adaptive and change and innovative. It's got that confidence level too. And then from there, that is satisfying once again unto itself. But there's one last jumping off point, which I'd like to see. And that is that particular organization I just described is in great shape to move to the next level and become a truly innovative. Now we get to innovative, new, original innovation. Now we get people being creative. So once we're into this innovation period, how does it change? Well, let's go back to access. Um, when we um, first talked about uh, access in the catalytic change um, cycle, we were talking about reducing no-shows right. and cleaning up the appointment scheduling and thereby improving access. And we did that. Yeah. We get to the innovation cycle Access to us isn't just a stream of people hmm. physically presenting themselves to us. Access is any way, any interaction that can occur between a patient and our organization that contributes to that patient's health and well-being. Yeah. So that's a, that can be a good, uh, a conventional outlet for that is a patient portal. Most of them are pretty badly done, right. but a good patient portal where you get a lot, you were, where you could see a lot of information yeah. and get a lot of guidance, email and texting, which we don't use like texting. Okay. You left today. You've been working on your blood pressure for five days now. What's your blood pressure? How's it going? You know, <laughs> give me right. some feedback. This yeah. interaction. I mean, that's why, you know, movies, TV series, uh, advertisements, they're, they're so visually heavy and, and music as well, music videos, and they're always changing the scene very quickly right. to engage the, 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 the listener. Because if you're not engaged, then you're not with it. And you're, right. you're not learning, uh, you're not absorbing, um, mm -hmm. you're not paying attention. So the idea is how to engage the patient through access. Mm. So, you know, you have texting, you have group visits. Group visits can be really effective. Very few people use them still, even though people have talked about group visits for several decades. They do a lot of things that single uh, provider patient visits can't do. Right. You have in integrated services where suddenly one provider will pull in another kind of provider so that a service, another service is delivered in that visit, but you can't do it unless you have your services totally integrated. Right. You have uh, the use of patient informatics in one way or the other. Uh, you have phone visits that you can do. And you have the thing that the patient calls in and they just want to like, oh, I just want to check in with the nurse. I'm not feeling well today. Then you do call in and you are instantly like connected to a nurse. You're not put into a queue. You don't leave a message. You don't hope for a callback within four hours. You know, we want the... <laughs> We want the interaction to be there. We want right. the patient to do this. Everybody in health center believes that everyone's trying to call us all the time, but they're not. They're usually trying to call us because we haven't called them back. That's yeah. what most of the calls are about. <laughs> <laughs> so if we can handle everything in real time, if we appreciate and value the interaction rather than dread and fear it, then we get totally different results. That's the innovative organization just in terms of access. You just yeah. start rethinking everything. It kind of changes changes the glasses you're looking at. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, you, you get to, but 
But there are certain patients for one reason or another where the patient care team isn't being effective. Yeah. Maybe that's a limitation on the team because okay. the patient's generally arbitrarily assigned to a team. Right, yeah. Or it's a very difficult patient or a very difficult condition. Hmm. In, in any case, the data would reveal this team's not making a lot of progress with this patient. Let's move this patient to the inner circle. And we got one core team, let's hmm. say, at okay. a particular clinic, at a small clinic, it would be one core team. And that team takes those toughest cases. And, and they're constructed in such a way, both in terms of robustness, the size of the team, and in terms of the characteristics and attributes of the caretakers on the team and the cross-functional nature of the team, that team is designed to crack those hard nuts. And once they crack them and they got a sustainable treatment plan going right. on, then they return them to the regular primary care team with a briefing about how to deal with this particular patient effectively. Right. See, that, that's an innovation to me. Those are like innovations because what, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get to the gut of the matter in healthcare, which is how can we effectively increase a person's health status? And if I'm a community health center, how do I fundamentally change the health status of my community, whether it wants to change or not? That's not even part of the, part of the equation. Roger, what are the four stages, just in, if you could list them for me? Uh, the four stages are the catalytic change, okay. the acquired um, adaptability or agility, uh, the preeminent performance, and the inspiring innovation. Okay. And to me, I don't like the, 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 the change language and the change books and the change literature. I think they're, 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 they're not really very, they don't really speak very well to the human spirit hmm. and the psychology of the workplace and how it works. But yeah, I think I those that. do because you get the catalytic change and people do get a little swagger in their yeah, step. They get they excited. Or, they do. You know, this isn't just another management directive, right? It kind of yeah. gives you the energy. That concludes this installment of the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. Did you feel that innovative spirit this episode? I challenge you to be a pirate and ask yourself, is this really the best way? What else is out there? I'm sure that we can do this better, right? Thank you, Roger, for spending the time with me. It was a real pleasure. Please don't forget to subscribe, and if there's something that you're interested in and would love to learn more, reach out to us and let us know on social media.